0: If you please take your Bibles and remain standing. I, I, I suppose everybody still heard me because I yell a lot. Uh, we, are, we are continuing our study in 2 Peter, and uh, we're in chapter 1, and we're only going to cover two verses, and it's verses 3 and 4. And God's Word says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, though, through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. May God add a blessing to His Word. You may be seated. To begin my sermon, I want to go a little bit unorthodox with a clip from one of my favorite movies of history. And, uh, well, I'll just let the scene kind of speak for itself. Todd? As you were, I'm looking for Corporal Oppen, yes, Timothy E. I'm up, sir. I understand you speak French and German? Yes, sir. How's so, your accent? It's uh, just a slight one in French. but My German's clean, has a touch of Bavarian. Very good, you've been reassigned to me. Grab your gear. I'm going to a place called Newville. Yes, when yes, sir. As R40, uh, sir. Sir. This is the sir. Sir. These, sir. Are, these are the two axes that yes, south. Sir, there are Germans artillery what I sir. understand, Corporal. Yes, um, so there, 13, are, there are a lot of Germans in the village. You have a problem with that, Corporal? No, sir. Just if you consider I've never been in combat, sir. I make maps and I translate. And that's... I need someone who speaks French and German. Yes, sir. My two guys were killed. Yes, sir. It's just that I've never... I haven't held a weapon since basic training, sir. Did you fire the weapon in basic training? Yes, sir. Well, then get your gear. Yes, sir. Sir, may I, bring... may I bring my typewriter, sir? Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Is that a souvenir? Uh, no, sir. Take your time for So look on the bright side of things, Corporal. Yes. Sir. One thing you don't need to carry those. You'll need that. I, need this. Yes, sir. I, need that. <laughs> I really enjoy this scene from Saving Private Ryan. I love the I love the movie and its historical accuracy. But what I like about that specific scene is. You know, as we've seen, Captain Miller, played by Tom Hanks, is picking up Corporal Upham uh, to join his team because he needed an interpreter. And as you can see in the scene, Upham is a linguist and a map maker, and he's never seen combat. And so he's been reassigned to Captain Miller's unit. And as he scrambles to assemble his gear that he thinks he needs, I love that scene where he says, do I need to bring my typewriter? And Tom Hanks just simply holds up a pencil. And that point makes a very specific point that I want to talk to you about this morning. You see, at times, we can feel like Corporal Upham. We feel inadequate. We feel inadequate to what we are called to do. And becoming a believer in Christ does not remove the challenges of this life. It actually adds to them. And at times we feel inadequate to live this life in Christ. And it is in these times that we need to remind ourselves as to what God has done and is doing in our lives this morning contained in Peter's second letter, we will find a great encouragement whenever we feel we're inadequate to do that which God has called us to do. We're going to see what God has done for you and what God is doing for you so that we can remember as we walk through those difficult times in life as to what He's doing. Because sometimes we forget, don't we? So let's look first at verse 3 and begin to understand what the Lord has done for us. Verse 3, it says, His divine power has granted us to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. There's much to say in this verse, but the first thing that we see that God has done for us is through His divine power He has given us The ability for life. The ability for life. Now, the word used here by Peter comes from the Greek word zoe. Zoe. And within this meaning, it really references three lives. And the first one is our physical life, our life in the flesh. For Scripture says, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. You see, when God made man on the sixth day, He created His highest creation. Above all that He had created before, above all the other living creatures, we are His highest creation. And it is in this creation He made what I term the tangibles, right? Our bodies And in our bodies, we have arms, we have legs, we have eyes, we have fingers, we have toes, we have lungs to breathe. We have everything that we need to live this life in the flesh on earth. But we were fashioned in a unique way, different than the other creatures. In fact, we're created with a unique blueprint that is from the Father's very design of His fingers. The Scripture says, Then God said, Let us make man in our own image, after our likeness. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. We are unlike any other creature that God has made. Our image is a reflection of His highest creation. It is a reflection of Him. Now, we live in a world where evolution is taught not just as a theory, but as a scientific fact. And there's no room for creationism in the school systems since 1962 when prayer was removed. As a result, the creation of man in the image of God by His divine power has been replaced by a theory that man evolved into what he is today, not giving its credit to the Creator of the Created. And thus dismissing his power from all creation. And as a result, we've seen throughout all of society, in its history, a degradation of the value of human life, whether it be abortion or the lack of value in life in other countries, where millions is as Henry spoke about this morning in Sunday school class, that have been killed by tyrannical and dictator leaders. Look, when you separate the Creator from the created, then the created becomes the highest form that is exactly what is happening today. There are people who feel we are the highest form of creation, not by way of God's hand, but by way of evolution. Therefore, many men consider themselves gods, in essence. The highest form of morality, the highest form of intellect, the highest form of reasoning. When we and our children believe that we are evolved from non-living matter to living matter over millions of years, it eliminates God from the equation. And that is exactly what the enemy wants. That's exactly what the enemy has been trying to do from the very beginning, is to separate the connection between God and man. And if you don't think it happens in the church, think again. I remember having lengthy conversations with my son on creation versus evolution, because in school he was taught evolution by science. And mine sounded like a myth. And yet there's more scientific proof for creation than evolution. And even now, hardened evolutionists believe, well, there's an intelligent designer. Yeah, we call him God. Don't know what you call him. Let me introduce him to you. Because he made you too. But that's the world in which we live. It goes the extra mile to ignore and not appreciate the creation of God. For by doing that, they would have to admit then their position in standing before God. And having been unsaved once in my life, that's a scary proposition. That's why I ran from God. Maybe that's why you ran from God. Maybe that's why you're running from God. So never take for granted or allow the wisdom of man to dilute, replace the fact that you are specifically uniquely, preciously, and wonderfully made by the hand of God. Because here's the deal. If man fails to see his creator in the creation of himself, then man will fail to see the creator at all. But he gives us this life, this physical life to live. but He also gives us life in spirit. Not only have we received life through Christ in the tangible, physical realm, but we also have been given a life in the spirit realm, which I would call the intangibles. These include the soul, the spirit, our intellect, our reasoning, our wills. No other creature on earth has been given the intangibles except man. From the very beginning, God desires His creation to live forever. To be eternal with the hope that they will be with Him forever. But because of sin, these intangibles have been corrupted. Just like the tangibles where we will die a physical death. And as a result, we're still born, if you will, in the Spirit. And in order to have a relationship with the Father, as originally designed by the Father, we must be given a new spirit, a rebirth, if you will. I love Ezekiel 36, 26-27, because it contains all of the soteriology that we need to understand our salvation. And it reads, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from the flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. Now the context of this scripture is Ezekiel is talking to Israel and future events. But within it, we see the soteriology of our own salvation. God so loved His creation that He put in place a plan of redemption to reconcile it back to Him. And it begins with a new spirit. One that is not corrupted, but is made righteous through Christ. And so not only has He given us a biology of life, but He's also given us a new spirit in life in order to live and be fully connected to Him, to be restored, to be reconciled, because sin separated us from the Father, and to have this intimate connection with Him through the Holy Spirit. But we've also been given something else in this life, and that's life eternal, life eternal. John 6, 4. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Has eternal life. You know, one never thinks of eternal life until they are saved. You ever think of that? For if they would, it would draw them to Christ. When I was unsaved, I never thought about eternal life. That, why? What would be the point? I had a conversation with a young man who was raised in a church, baptized in a church, And I asked him this question. Do you ever think about God? Do you ever think about Jesus? Do you ever think about eternal life? Where you will be when you are no longer on this planet. Raised in the church, baptized in the church, discipled in the church. You know what his answer was? No. Broke my heart. It broke my heart. Because that is something that is spiritually discernible. Man does not think about eternal life. Why would he? He doesn't need to. But in Christ, when Christ is revealed to us and we give our lives to Christ, we receive, as Peter said in his first chapter of his first letter, an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorruptible for all eternity. We can't fathom that as the song would say. We can only imagine. But I think about eternity a lot lately because we've seen a lot of our friends and family go home. And it puts in your mind, Lord, I can't wait. But it also puts in your mind, Lord, I need to help that young man. He needs eternal life too. Because if you don't spend it with the Lord in heaven, you'll spend it forever separated in darkness away from Him for all eternity. But if that's not enough to just talk about eternity, how about this? we will receive a glorified body. A glorified body. Philippians 3.21, Who will transform our lowly body to be a glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject all things to Himself. No more sickness. No more cancer. No more illness. No more tugs of sin. You will have a glorified body that you will live in for the rest of all eternity. And so when we look at, through His divine power, the life that He's given us, He's given us a physical life, a spiritual life, and a life eternal. But He also has given us something else. He's given us the ability to live in a godly manner. In a godly manner. As we covered in 1 Peter, the main theme of 1 Peter is to live holy lives as we sojourn through this hostile world. We are called to holiness that is to permeate throughout all of our lives, just not here at church. God has called us to godliness as well. And He's given us the life in which we can attain it through His Holy Spirit. Godliness used here by Peter means to live in reverence and awe of God, to be so conscious of God and His presence that it permeates all throughout your life. Again, this cannot happen absent of the Holy Spirit. Although we are able, being made in the image of God, to recognize God in His creation and that He does exist, as evidence of His existence and His creation, we are incapable of truly worshiping Him in spirit absent of the Holy Spirit. This is why those without the Holy Spirit tend to worship everything other than God. You know why that is? Because you were made in the image and likeness of God. We've covered that. That means that there is a, there is a connection with God. There's the DNA to worship God. And in the absence of God, we will worship something else. Usually something fashioned with our own hands, with our own ideals, with our own desires. Sometimes it's even ourselves. It is the essential element within our creation that we worship. And when the fall of man occurred, we found ourselves wanting to worship something, therefore we created images and gods in order to worship them. And yet what we read in Psalms 50, 21. My favorite line when it, in relationship to people who follow other gods or to think God is like them, in Psalms 50, 21 he says, and you thought I was altogether like you. No, we are called to be all together like Him. We never bring God down to us. We are to elevate ourselves by way of the Holy Spirit to God. Additionally, as believers in Christ, we can find ourselves compartmentalizing our lives, which is just as dangerous as not worshiping God at all. We put certain segments of our lives in certain boxes, don't we? We separate our work from our home, or at least we try to. We separate our hobbies from work. Again, at least we try to. Our family gets this certain amount of time, our work gets this segment of time, and our interests get this segment of time. But here's a dangerous thing with that. There's nothing wrong with being orderly and having specific time for specific things, but it can creep in. To our relationship with Christ. And guess what we start to do there? We start to compartmentalize Him too. As a result, we go to work without Jesus. We spend time with our families without Jesus. We spend time in our hobbies and in our interests and in the things we love to do without Jesus. It seems the only time that we do things with Jesus is in those moments of prayer and reading and coming to church. We are to be, as I said earlier, conscious of God in every aspect of our lives. No matter where you're at, it needs to be about Jesus. No matter where you go, Jesus needs to be with you. He needs to be a part of you. He needs to be a part of your speech. He needs to be a part of your actions. He needs to be a part of your reactions and of your thoughts and desires. Colossians 3.17, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I admit I fail at this. I'll be out fishing, thinking about something, and the next thing you know... I look up and I see what he's created reminding me. Tim, I'm in the boat with you. Remember that. So then how do we achieve? You know, before I say that, you ever notice when you see somebody totally sold out for Jesus, you can see it? It's immediately apparent. And they're all about Jesus in everything they do. And then you feel in yourself, am I? Am I like that? We need to be. Nobody should ever guess what you believe. And if I asked any of your friends about your faith, they should immediately be able to tell me. That's how... Prevalent it needs to be in our lives. How else can our witness get out to the world? This is how we live. And so, how do we achieve this life in godliness in Him? It's through the knowledge of Him. Now, this word knowledge by Peter is not intellectual knowledge. Remember last week I talked about all the things I knew about Jesus, but I didn't know him, right? It speaks of knowing Him in a personal way. And the only way we can do this, again, is through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that gives us the intimacy with the Father through Christ. You can't have it any other way. No one can come to the Father except through me. And no one can come to Jesus unless the Father first draws them. And so when it says, through the knowledge of Him, we can only receive a new spirit through Christ. Through the Holy Spirit. Additionally, it's only through Him that we can give any kind of reverence to God. Reverence without relationship, listen to this reverence without relationship is religion. How do I know that? Because I lived it. I was raised in a church, I gave reverence. But I didn't know them. So it was just religion. Just me practicing church. But reverence with relationship is the reality of Christ in you. Reverence with relationship is the reality of Christ in you. All those years I was raised in the church, great value that I obtained from that came alive at 14. And now I had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ in a way I never had before. Why? Because it was of the Holy Spirit, not religion, that did it. So we have been given all things to this life and godliness through the knowledge of Christ. All things. You lack nothing. You lack nothing. There's a story of a man that goes from church to church to church to conference to conference to conference, reads every new book that comes out, looking for that thing to fill that void that he feels that he has because he doesn't feel totally committed and totally fulfilled in Christ. And finally, he came to a church after he had visited several times, and the pastor said, you want to know who's missing from the relationship in Christ in your life? You. You keep going around looking for things to satisfy something that has already been given to you fully and completely in Christ. You don't need anything else. You have all that you need to live this life in Christ. And when we do, we do it for His glory and we do it for His excellence. Now, most times when we see this, for His glory and His excellence... We fail to realize how that impacts us. Now, I'm not trying to turn this around to to us, right? I'm not trying to make this a selfish thing. But when we think of it, glory and excellence given to God, we only feel it goes in one direction. It flows only up to God. And it does. But we miss what it does for us. We miss what it affects in us. Not only does this phrase speak obviously, to glorify God, but it also speaks on how it affects us in a positive way. You see, what this phrase means beyond the obvious is that when we are called by His glory and for His excellence, that glory and excellence is reflected in us. It's a byproduct of doing that. And when we live for His glory and excellence, we reflect Him and live in harmony with Him. Makes sense, right? If you're going to live your life to bring glory and excellence to the Lord, it better show glory and excellence to the Lord. You can't give glory and excellence to the Lord if you're not living for Him. And if you're living for Him, it's evident. It's a validation of your life in Christ. It's one of the encouragements. To battle any inadequacy that you might have in your relationship with Christ. You know, it's like a son who lives a life of strong character as taught by his father. When people see the young man, they compliment him on his character and say, You're just like your dad. When we live for God's glory and excellence, it's a reflection of him in our lives, and it's a precious testimony. But again, it's also a great validation that we're like our Father. Now, moving on to verse 4, we'll see the third thing that Christ's divine power provides. And that is a divine nature. Divine nature. Verse 4, by which He has granted to us precious and great promises, so that through them we may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of Our sinful desires. One of the precious things God's Word has is His promises. Promises here means assurances. Now, promise to me is one of those words like hope, right? Hope is one of my favorite words in the Bible because hope in the world means desperation. I hope that happens. But hope in God's Word means it will happen, it's an assurance. And promise is just like that. Promise in the world is, well, they promised they would come around, but they didn't. Promise in the Word of God is an assurance that it's going to happen. It's why it's there. God gives us His Word so that we live by it, right? And in the power of the world, we're saved by it. But it's also an assurance of what He's going to do with us in it. Now, some say there's 7,000 promises in the Word of God. Some say there's 3,000. I don't know. You can go home and count them and tell me what you find. All I can tell you, it is full of promises. And we forget them, especially in times of suffering and trials and tribulation. We forget the promises of God, especially when we feel that we've been alienated by Him. And yet there's the promise. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Not even your own sin. For we know that the promises of God, for all the promises of God find their yes in Him. Him is Jesus. That is why it is through Him Jesus that we utter our amen to God for His glory. Praise God. When you read a promise, stand on it. It's for you. Do you know how many times I've stood on a promise? In times where I didn't think there was any hope. And he came through every time. Not once did he disappoint. Not once. And I don't think anybody in here can say, well, there was that one time that God didn't fulfill. Not once. Because God cannot fulfill his promises because it would go against his perfect character. We may fail in our promises. He can. And we also know that God is not slow in keeping His promises. For the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Stand on that verse when you are witnessing to somebody in your life, your brothers, your sisters, your mom, your dad, Stand on that verse and hold to the promise that God gives. You know, I want the Lord to come today. Darla and I were talking about that on our drive back from the naked moose. Man, if the Lord would just come today, what a glorious day that would be. And it would be, wouldn't it? Then my heart sank. Who would be left behind? Well, guess what? We have time. We have time to show them the love of Christ. We have time to show them what Christ has done for you. We have time to show them this life that I just talked about, on how He renewed it and gave you a new spirit. Your testimony is the most powerful witness you will ever provide to anybody who is lost. There's time. Eternity is forever It's never-ending. And I can't imagine, as sometimes I do, somebody I love separated from me, separated from God, not in heaven, for all eternity. Stand on His promises. Don't let go. Don't stop praying. Don't stop talking. Don't stop witnessing. Because they need it. Now, these promises are great and precious because in them they give us something critically necessary to live the life of Christ, and that is a divine nature, a divine nature. When we were born, we were born into sin. Therefore, we have a sinful nature, right? This nature controls every function, our thoughts, our reasoning, our emotions, our desires, our needs, our priorities. It controlled every aspect of our lives, whether we recognized it or not. It did. And as a result, we live a corrupt life in a corrupt world. So then how do we overcome the sinful nature? God answers that by giving you a divine nature by way of His Son, Jesus Christ. And when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, His divine nature comes to to us by the Holy Spirit. God in you. A divine nature that allows you to be reconciled with the Father. You can now have a perfect relationship with God the Father that was seared by sin. A divine nature that sanctifies us. You know what that means? It means setting you apart because you are precious to Him. Setting you apart as holy. That's how precious you are to Him when He sanctifies you. And we're precious in His sight. I can't, you know, we can only read that and pray and and Lord, just give me an understanding, an image of that. But can you imagine the day in which we are before our Father? And the reaction He's going to have? Well done, my faithful servant. Come into your Father's arms. Imagine that. It's a divine nature that allows us to live this life in Christ. You're not supposed to do it on your own. It's not in your own power. You will fail, and you will know when you fail. A divine life in Christ is that He's always there to pick you up when you do. And He holds you and He dusts you off. A divine nature that allows you to discern the Word of God. There's scholars that know this word inside and out way better than I ever will. And it's just words. It's just words, just history, geography, whatever in which they're studying it. God has given me a divine nature. God has given you a divine nature so that you can read and understand the mysteries of God. That's why you get it. And they don't. (laughs) It's because God has spiritually revealed it to you through His divine nature. We get all of that through His divine nature. Remember, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Praise God. Because I certainly didn't like the old Tim. And in this divine nature, guess what? Another promise. You will escape the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desires, to and include your desires. You will escape the corruption of this world. What does he mean by that? You will escape the end judgment that's coming to this world as a result of sin. You will escape it. Additionally, it means you won't be corrupted by it fully. Here, you may be tempted, you might even fall, but you will not be fully corrupted by it as you walk this life in holiness to him but we must pay attention to that we must be on watch we must be steadfast so that we're not deceived we're going to talk about that next week in, chapter, in, in verse 5 what is our responsibilities in response to what he has done for us but we will escape the corruption of this world I spoke to a Nigerian, Uh, for those who don't know I, 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 well, I spoke to a Nigerian one day and I asked, why did you leave Nigeria? And he said to me, he said, I left Nigeria because of the corruption. I left Nigeria because I wanted a new life. I left Nigeria because I wanted to be free. And as I sat there and listened to him, that's why I came to Christ. I wanted to leave the corruption of sin. Mm. I wanted to leave the corruption around me. I wanted to live a life that was free in him. This man was a Christian from Nigeria, and he's so blessed to be here in the United States. Brothers and sisters, we've been given a divine nature so that we can escape the corruption of this world and have eternal life with Him. So by His divine power, we have received everything that we need to live this life, the ability to live a life of godliness, and to receive a divine nature that allows us to escape the corruption of this world. And I realize sometimes... We can in this life in Christ, especially when we face significant challenges and trials in our lives, feel inadequate. And as a result, we can even doubt whether God is active in our situation or even more tragically, if we're even His. I think we've all been there one point or another. And yet, as we've heard from God's Word this morning, God has given us everything we need to live this life in Christ as assured by His promises. And when we recognize all that He has and all that He has done, it gives us great confidence because it is a great encouragement. Heavenly Father, we thank You for your word. We thank you for what it teaches. We thank you that it reminds us of what you have done for us. Father, let us now walk in this. Father, let us now, Father, fully embrace it. Father, let us now share it with those that need to hear it about what God will do for them so father when whenever we doubt or whenever we feel inadequate i pray that you would bring to remembrance what we spoke about here this morning and i ask your blessing to be upon it in jesus name you know as the communion stewards come forward you know one of the greater one of the greater promises